0: Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com are our websites, and coming up in just a few minutes, this is such a clear example about how messed up the financial industry is in today's Clark Rage. Sending somebody the same bill tens of thousands of times and having the wrong amount on it too. I'll fill you in later. And there are big changes coming up in using Visa credit cards. And the industry's got a lot of tweedily d tweedily dumb. What Visa's doing to change your use of cards will probably be followed by others in the industry I'll tell you how it affects your wallet as a consumer, or if you own a business, how it'll affect you as a business. So, I want to talk right now about tax season. And if you overwithheld from your check, paycheck, and you're due a refund from the IRS, you're probably ready to go. You're probably ready to file and get that refund. So, there are a couple of rules of the road I want you to know in filing your return. First, most taxpayers are eligible to file your return for free. It's something that only 2% of eligible people use. By eligible, your income has to be um, not among the wealthiest in the country. Most people will qualify. But of the almost everybody who qualifies, again, only two out of 100 take advantage of free tax prep and filing software. Pretty much all the software vendors are in the IRS free file program, but they don't exactly promote it because they want you to buy their paid software. But you are eligible in almost all cases to use the free software. And if you go to irs.gov, you'll see right on the homepage, free file, click on it. It'll take you to the offerings available from each of the major and minor software vendors. If you live in a state with a state income tax, some of the offers also include free software for preparing state tax filings, and free electronic filing of that state return. Others only include the federal, so you'll need to look through. And as I've suggested before, if you start using one of the software packages and you don't like it, abandon it and try another one. But remember, all the majors are represented, and a lot of tax prep software firms you probably haven't heard of are also included. So how do you file your return for free if you were a higher income earner? Well, Credit Karma Tax, the same people who give you access to your credit reports for free and credit scores for free and all that stuff, they make free tax prep available to you regardless of income. Why would they do that? Credit Karma Tax does it because, remember, they are hitting you with solicitations for offers for various forms of credit and banking and all that, and if they have information about you from your tax return, they know much deeper information about you, and they can target you much better for specific offers that you'll probably want. So there's an invasion of privacy in return for you having the free tax filing, Uh, I need to also let you know that if you own your own business or have a complicated tax situation, you don't want to be using tax prep software paid or free or anything like that. You want a professional preparing your income tax. And if you are a small business owner, but you don't have a crazy complicated situation, you can look at hiring an enrolled agent. If you have a CPA who does work for you for your business and they do tax as well, having a CPA who does tax do your returns is great. If you are a high-income earner or have unusual situations in your life, you want to use a human being, a qualified tax professional. Which brings me to the next thing I need to make sure you're clued into, and that is unfortunately there's been a steady increase in a number of unqualified people doing tax returns there's nothing that somebody has to have any kind of certification or whatever to do taxes I can go out today and say Clark's tax prep and people could have me doing their taxes well unfortunately a lot of people who've been offering to do taxes for people and claiming they'll get you these giant refunds and all that, are actually con artists or thieves. And they don't sign your return as a preparer, but they put a lot of false stuff on there, deductions you don't really qualify for, kids you don't really have, all kinds of stuff to generate a big refund. And in a lot of cases, they're directing the refund, direct deposit into their account, not yours. So you filed a false return with your signature, and the money doesn't even go to you. So please know that there are a lot of people out there pulling games, and if somebody is paid to do your return, you need their signature on that return, that they prepared the return. You should look through and see what the return says you're claiming and if you see things that clearly are not true do not sign your name to that return nancy's with us on the clark howard show hi nancy hey how's it going great thank you nancy you got a couple of kids there
1: yes um my husband and i we have a nine and a nine-year-old and a 13-year-old um daughters and
0: there's the thirteen well, year old talk back yet or still respectful?
1: They both talk back. Okay. So, so there's consistency.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um uh, anyway, we have not been very good um at all in terms of college education fund. And I have been I've been listening to you more recently later, I just discovered podcasts. And so I spend a lot of time in the car and I've been listening to you. And my my question is, well, what do you do when you haven't done it all right? And how do you, I mean, should we Do you just put in a big chunk of money to kind of catch up? Or how does that work? Okay, or so first
0: we- of all, stop with the whole guilt thing I just heard from you. Okay. Yeah, because, you know, your first responsibility is to provide for current life expenses, And to save for your own retirement. Those things have got to come first. And if after that you still are in a position to save for your kid's college, then great, save for your kid's college. But that has to follow, not lead, you know, where you make sure you've taken care of those things first. So if you, uh, with a, you said 13 and 9, is that what you said? Yes. Yes. You're not too late to put money aside, especially for the nine-year-old. You think about when college would be done um, 13, 14 years from now. Yeah. So you got a lot of time for money to grow tax-free in a 529 college savings plan where the money grows tax-free and spent for eligible college expenses is spent tax-free. Um, okay. The 13-year-old, you still have up to nine or ten years so Mm -hmm. there's plenty of time for money to grow tax-free and be used for that purpose okay well that's encouraging and whatever you save is what you're able to save yeah um can you tell me what state you live in oklahoma okay so i have um i don't know if you've seen it on clark.com i have a guide where i've read the um the legal filings for all the state-sponsored college savings plans. And I've ranked them based on quality. And the one in Oklahoma is good enough to put money in as a state resident. It's not one of the elite plans in the country, but it's good enough. If you go in one particular investment in Oklahoma, what's known as the direct plan plan, Uh And the only things that have decent fees are what's known as the age-based portfolios, where based on your kid's age, the investments in them are automatically, the mix is automatically changed as your kids get closer and closer to college age. Okay, I gotcha. So it would be fine to go in Oklahoma's plan, but only the very narrow part of it that I can tell you is okay. So if you go to my 529 plan guide, and you go to your state, you'll be able to see exactly what you should look for in the plan and how to link to it.
1: Okay, I'll do that.
0: And again, no more guilt trips.
1: <laughs> okay, I'll try not to I'll just move
0: forward. Okay, because you know, guilt is just part of our lives as parents. But I can tell you on the college thing, as important as it may be in a family's culture for kids to go to college, it is not the close to the highest priority in terms of the savings you do as a parent. Scott's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Scott. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Scott. You got a question for me about something that's become very popular again, a form of borrowing that nobody was really doing for about 10 years. What is it?
1: Uh, I recently initiated a home equity line of credit and I'm going to do some fixes around the house and knock out my credit card. Uh, Then I heard you talk about some changes to the credit reporting systems uh, relative to personal loans or secure loans, and so I was wondering how that might affect my credit score.
0: So in the case of you doing a HELOC, that should not harm you the same way a personal loan would. The new scoring model that's only going to be phased in over time what's called FICO 10 and 10T, will look at somebody who's been running credit card debt and then takes out personal loans to move the credit card debt to, and that's looked at as a big danger signal for somebody ultimately defaulting on debt because it means they're wheezing on the amount of debt they have. Now, taking out a HELOC to... Essentially, refinance credit card debt. Did you do that because the interest rate was lower, or the payment was easier?
2: Well,
1: the the interest is lower, um, and that was that was really it. I just had a couple of interests that I wanted to do, and I figured that uh, the, the lower interest rate, if I was going to be using any money, uh, would be you know, it makes sense to go with a home equity loan.
0: Um, so you did loan or line of credit because a line of credit oh. floats, and a loan is a fixed rate.
1: It's a, it's a it's a line of credit, okay. uh, for, for, for the way I understood it. Yeah, that's what All I, I talked to the bank
0: about. All right. So with a line of credit, they're not going to put you on a strict payment schedule to pay that uh, credit card balance that you've moved over down to zero. And so you can actually, if it just sits there, you can end up with more total interest paid than you would even on a much higher interest rate credit card. So I would make a deal with yourself... Where you set out how much you're gonna pay per month to wipe out those credit cards now that you're having to service much less interest per month and the money you put towards it can go towards principal. In terms yeah, of that, an that
1: that makes sense, yeah.
0: In terms of an effect on your credit score, there's a minor hit to your credit score for having done another application for credit. And as long as you have now reduced the available credit on your you reduce the amount of your available credit you're using on your credit cards that should on that part of your credit actually be a positive that raises your score so the net effect may be a higher credit score than you had before so I I wouldn't fret about that I just worry about the other part and that is that you don't keep putting off paying off the balance and have discipline and a plan to pay it off Today's Clark-rageous moment is just absolutely makes your head shake. If you've not heard this story, this guy named Dan, who lives near Cleveland, Ohio. Why do we always say Cleveland, Ohio and just say Cleveland? I guess there are other Clevelands in the country. But anyway, so Dan gets a notice from his post office that he's received too much mail for him to just have delivered to his house. He's got to come pick up this mail. And he's like, what could be going on? So he goes to the post office in suburban Cleveland. And (laughs) so there's 55,000 letters for him. 55,000. Why'd he get 55,000? Well, because the student loan lender... The College Avenue Student Loan Company, don't know who owns them, sent him the same statement for a student loan for his daughter's tuition 55,000 times over. The postage for the lender alone was probably around $11,000 according to calculations by CNN. And to add insult to injury, the information on the loan and the of 55,000 times over was wrong. Okay, so <laughs> the lender is apologetic and all that, but the thing is, if there's an industry that doesn't have its act together more than the student loan industry, I don't know what it is. And you need to know that if you have student loans that you've taken out for your kids, or you are the... A student yourself and you've taken out student loans or former student, the record keeping on student loans is unbelievably inaccurate. The incompetence in the industry is beyond anything you could imagine of any government you think is incompetent. The student loan industry is flat out broken. Keep your own records, run your own loan schedules amortization schedules are available for free on phones on apps they're available on laptops where you want to track your loan make sure the balances are correct the interest rates are correct that payments made are properly reflected and reflected on time you need to watch the student loan lenders like a hawk Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com, and I want to talk about a change coming when you use credit cards. Now, this change is being implemented by the most powerful of the four credit card networks, which are Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Discover, And uh, Visa has set out to change the fee structure with changes rolling out in the spring and again more changes in the fall. The idea of this is to charge higher fees in industries and for your purchase of goods and services that are things where credit cards are dominant. And then in areas where credit cards do very poorly, to offer much lower merchant fees on those. And the idea is to manipulate your behavior. The merchants that accept Visa cards will not have a choice unless they're a giant enterprise like Walmart or Amazon, where they are strong enough they can negotiate their own Processing rates. But for everybody else, you're at the mercy of what the Visa, MasterCard cartel impose. And this place, this circumstance so far, it's just Visa, the other half of the cartel isn't in it. But anyway, online purchases that you should make only with credit cards because of how you're protected, those are purchases, the costs for merchants are going to go up. It'll cost them more to process anything where what's known as card not present. The chargeback rate, the fraud issues and all that are so much higher with card not present transactions. And so I want you to know that if you are a customer, smaller businesses may have to bump up prices some to deal with this that sell online. And I've noticed that some organizations now are charging slightly higher prices, completely opposite of what we used to see with their dot-com purchasing versus their actual in-store. Because remember, in-store, the card's present. I don't know if the, the chargebacks or the processing fees or what would be the reason for that, But there's now a differentiation the opposite of what we've seen for years with online potentially costing a little more than in-store. Now, one area that Visa has done terribly is collecting any kind of tuition payments because the fees are so high. Like I just paid tuition for my son and it gave me a choice of paying with the checking account or paying with a credit card, but to pay with a credit card cost, I think it was 2.9% more. So no matter how much I like my rewards, I'm going to pay 2.9% more. So that's one of the industries where market share is so low for Visa that they're going to drop those rates a lot, subsidize them with higher fees they're charging to other merchants for other kinds of transactions to try to get market share in the student tuition market for private schools, preschools, and colleges. And that's just like the headlines in what's happening. And if you are a small business, know that you are directly affected by this stuff is typically your second largest business expense is what you pay the Visa MasterCard cartel. And it's For most businesses, it's something you got to do because without taking credit cards, there's a lot of business you'd lose. But remember, you do have an option of offering customers a better deal, paying with cash, and giving them part of what you save as a way of you reducing expenses and offering customers that are very price sensitive. The alternative way to pay, and uh, we'll see how this all plays out. Because see Visa announced by press release that they're doing this, and so some of this may be trial ballooning, waiting to see what the other half of the cartel does, Mastercard, because they can't leave a price advantage for Mastercard in the in any of these areas, and then after the fact, what American Express and Discover end up doing, but. You as a consumer are going to see it, particularly in areas where you're given a different price when you pay by credit card versus when you pay by cash or check or some other means. Danielle is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Danielle. Hi, how are you? Great, thank you. Congratulations on your recent wedding. Thank you. So how's it going so far?
1: Um, it's been great so far we're just trying to figure out the money aspect
0: (laughs) oh so usually um you know it's funny if people go to premarital counseling now a huge amount of the time whether it's religious-based premarital counseling or or non-religious based a huge amount of the time the counselor spends is on the issue of money with couples yeah because it is difficult because especially now so often people get married at a later age than people used to and you've each already had your own lives financially and otherwise tell me what kind of choices you're facing
1: so we're trying to figure out we want to join our bank accounts but like you said we both have bank accounts and long-standing credit cards with those accounts um and so we're trying to figure out, I've been told if you cancel your longest credit card, it negatively affects your credit. Yeah, um,
0: don't, neither of you should cancel your existing credit cards. Okay. Yeah, no reason. So, that's that's what they call in tennis an unforced error, that you'd be harming your credit and your credit score, your credit worthiness for really no reason. So okay. i like for each of you to have your own credit. Because if you don't, your credit is individual, Uh, you know, how you're looked at, and you want to have your own credit history and reputation. How you pay the bills, that's subject to the dynamics of your own marriage. If your bills are paid for all different kinds of bills from a joint account where when your paychecks come in, you put your money in, or if for things like credit cards things that would be you know you want to go buy yourself a new outfit and you're you're worried what he would say why would you spend that much on that outfit or vice versa that by having your own credit cards and then paying your personal kind of stuff on your own out of your own account is how a lot of couples handle it it all depends on how the two of you feel about your money that you have separately and that you'd have together
1: right so he's a student right now and we were planning on joining accounts once his last set of loans hit which they just did um but we're curious since he has an account that's where all of his loans have been going into and i have my account if we does it make sense to close out one bank account and just have one or should we leave the other one open and just pay off loans with that at
0: it that's a great question all right so what i recommend when somebody comes into a marriage and they've got a big pile of loans like his student loans i'd like for you to have three checking accounts
1: okay
0: the two you already have and then one that you do for household expenses and in whatever ratio you decide you pool money for household expenses as a renter or a home buyer, um, things that are joint expenses are paid out of that household account. When the student okay. loans are paid and you've had more time in your marriage, you may choose at that point to can each having your own individual accounts and then just having a joint account. But the reason you never put all your money in a joint account when someone has outstanding loans in a marriage, is if anything ever came up, any dispute, anything like that, uh, most often a lot of the student loan lenders, for example, will come in and automatically debit your account. Well, if you only have one account and all your money's gone into it and there's a dispute with the student loan lender or they make a mistake or whatever, suddenly you could have no money to pay any of your bills. Okay. So you want... Your, your household account cordoned off separate from an account that's used for these debts from schooling.
1: Okay, that makes sense.
0: And um. as far as credit cards, if the two of you choose at some point that you want to get a joint credit card that you're co-owner of, mm-hmm. that's fine too. Like let's say there's some so, rewards you're trying to earn or who knows what and you want to do a joint card, that's fine. Or you can even do one where one of you owns it and the other, you make an authorized user.
1: So that's what we have right now. So we have our each have our own credit cards with those original bank accounts that we have, and they don't have great rewards. And then we have two rewards cards. And I'm the, like, I guess I put my number and name down on them and then made him an authorized user because one I had before we got married and one I got Right after we got married, and I didn't think through the, we each need our own line of credit. Otherwise, I probably would have had him open that second one.
0: So does he um, have, other than the student loans that he's responsible for, which would hopefully give him a decent credit profile, does he have no credit cards in his name that are his he cards? The
1: one, he has the one with his original bank
0: account. Okay, I like for people to follow Noah's Ark rule, that everybody have two cards as a minimum in their own name and i'd like him to get one more card once he's done with school and he's working or is he already working and in school
1: no he'll start working um in the middle of this coming year
0: okay so when he starts working um he'll be able to show income i'd like him to apply for another card never from the same financial institution that his existing card is with you want your credit cards from two different financial institutions
1: okay and then is there any downside to those original credit cards that we have that don't have great um, rewards? Is there any downside to just swiping them like once a month on like a Spotify account or something? Or should It's we be great using to do them?
0: that. No, you want to use them, okay. each card you have. You want to keep active, and usually that'll mean using it twice a year. So okay. if you're doing Spotify um, 12 times a year on an account, that's fine. Have you combined your Spotify accounts to get a lower price from Spotify?
1: We have, mm-hmm.
0: Good, okay. Um, awesome. Think about anything like that that you were paying for individually that you could do a better deal together that's still hanging out there that each of you are paying for, unless you've already done all that.
1: I, I would have to think through um, what we might have missed, but that is good advice. We can thumb through the subscriptions.
0: <laughs> but as far as combining all available funds... I really like that to be slow walked in a marriage that it should take a while as each of your spending habits uh, become known to the other and all that because if you combine all your money coming in into one account often there will be different attitudes about money in a couple and that can cause real flashpoints and arguments and that's why that's later in a marriage if people do decide to combine all their money but again Never while there's outstanding debt obligations of one or the other do you combine. Ben is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Ben. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Ben. You're going to Germany to drink beer. Yeah, it's my 40th birthday, and uh, um, I, have, I have been looking at
1: flights, so we plan on probably flying into Amsterdam, um, spend a couple of days there, and then just hop on a flight over to Munich. And I was just curious as to when the best times to look for flights are, um, hotels. um, Well, any information really would be helpful. Um, I I did find a flight for about $250, a 12-hour flight with one stop in Europe, the way there. Um, I don't know if it's going to get any cheaper than that, but the airline was a little, the, the reviews weren't that good on it.
0: Okay, so we're talking about October for Oktoberfest. Um, go ahead and name who was the airline that was offering the two fifty one way. It was Portugal Airlines. Oh, uh, tap. Yeah, yep, tap yeah, is yep. um, tap is an airline that historically has had a rotten reputation, but has relatively new management, and okay. they are I'd say now a more inconsistent product than one that used to be merely bad. Okay. So they're they're improving. Um, haphazardly getting steadily better. But if you're going to go in October, you're early to buy a ticket. Okay. So you often, the often there will be a shoulder season sale that covers April-May travel and September-October travel, that often those four months are paired together in what's known as shoulder season fare sales. And okay. And I would set up an alert on um, – kayak or google or any of the travel sites where you can track fares and especially the ones that will give you predictive hey this fare will be in green typically if the fare is much lower than normal for your travel period okay okay um so i've been looking for a while now and
1: every time i look that one's always there so i that's why i was wondering i didn't know if that was a really good deal or not
0: Yeah, no reason to jump, again, with a predictive analysis tool like on uh, Google Trips, uh, you know, Google Flights, I'm sorry, uh, google.com slash flights, if I can spit it out. Using that, it'll give you the predictive and you'll know, hey, that's a really incredible fare. I should go ahead and just buy that or maybe hang out for a while and wait and see what would happen with, again, what's known as a shoulder season fare. I just keep thinking about Danielle, who I talked to just a few minutes ago, and our conversation sounded so unromantic talking about her new marriage and her husband finishing up school and how to handle the money and all that. And the reality is it's really important for couples not to hide discussions about money. You know, Do you know that somewhere, depending on who does the survey, little less or a little more than half of couples admit that they lie to each other about money and hide money from each other and play games with each other about money and it creates a distance and distrust so whether I think about with Danielle you know we were being so clinical talking about we should put this money here and that money there and have these kind of credit cards and all that but I really feel like I missed the mark by not addressing how important it is for a couple to be open about money with each other, regardless of how you handle it. And a couple can decide that there's a certain amount of money that is secret, that you don't discuss how you spend or whatever. It's just something that should be a conversation and it shouldn't be a secret. There's secrets. It should be a conversation that there are areas that are cordoned off. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.